Hey, happy June 2nd, everyone. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's a Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. And on Thursdays, we talk about uh, all things, I guess, theoretical in some ways, like the economy and astrophysics. Often we have astrophysicist Paul Wallace with us today. He'll be on next week. But today we're going to talk about the economy and uh, the impact of inflation and really trying to answer this question. With inflation being what it is, I think is, you know, inarguably true that inflation is on the rise in the U.S. Why is there so much money and so few workers? The, this is the confusing conundrum that we find ourselves in. And are people really feeling the impact of inflation in the way that a lot of our politics wants to suggest they are. So this could be our conversation for today. Yeah. But uh, first off, more important things, lovely weather in the city of Minneapolis today, 74 degrees, sunny, light breezes. Oh boy, just a, just a, par- <laughs> just a paradise of weather here in, in Minneapolis. I'm Doug Padgett. And there. same right over here. Yeah, just uh, right? across the lake and a little to the south. Beautiful day. Wow. Well, good. The skies have cleared. Uh, in economics, it doesn't feel like the skies have cleared. There's all kinds of worry about this. And, uh, you know, we talk about politics and faith voters and people caring about the common good. And the economy is something you really want to care about if you care about the common good, right? There's just almost a uh, few things that impact everyone as much as the economy. Now, having said that, certain people are impacted more by the econ- economic shifts and some people are affected less depending on where you are in the economic system. Very wealthy people see a lot of stability no matter what. Mm-hmm. People that live at the lower end of middle class and the upper end of what is considered low income in this country based on how much it costs for a family or an individual to live. Those people experience a lot of fluctuation when the economy moves because little marginal moves in gas and grocery bills. Prices, yeah. Yeah. Just starts taking a real uh, a, a real pinch out of it. So while everyone's impacted by the economy, not everyone's equally impacted by the economy. And so when you talk about inflation effects, it's not evenly distributed uh, across our across our society. And depending on what portion of your income you spend on certain things and how much freedom you have to spend money on something or not spend money on something also works. And every time there's an economic change, wealthy people have figured out how to use that for their advantage, right? Yeah. One of the things that wealthy people have have figured out and that the system leans toward is that the wealthier you are, the more you have flexibility to be financially successful, no matter where the economy finds itself. So that's a group that you don't really have to worry too much about. Um, And, you know, in the United States, Republicans are very concerned about that crowd. So they want to make sure that, you know, the wealthy people as sort of the, the money bags of our society, make sure they have enough so the rest of us can get a little, a little well, trickle So they down. can trickle down to us. Yeah. That's the myth yeah. anyways. Do you think people still talk about trickle down? Is that still a thing? I haven't heard that in a very long time, but it sticks in the brain. You yeah. Know, I feel uh, like that and job creators, like these, these rich people are the job creators. Job creators. I feel like I still hear that. Like we got, we got to make sure they're happy, still have a lot of money to spend and, buy yachts so that the yacht builders are in business and well yeah who's i mean when was the last time you worried about yacht builders i mean those are real people those handcrafted yachts those handcrafted (laughs) yachts are actually made by real people's hands yeah that's uh that's very um apropos of of this conversation but here's here's what strikes me and everyone's been asking this you know why aren't there workers so just in the last couple of days um 
my wife said to me just yesterday, last night, she said, wow, at, at our natural foods co-op, so we shop at one of those grocery stores that are kind of like a Whole Foods, but a little bit smaller and cooperatively owned. Yeah, um, like a local local co-op. co-op. Yeah, yeah, really, you know, and people that work there tend to work there because, you know, they're treated well, of course, uh, top quality food products that you pay top quality prices for, of course. Mm-hmm. Um but also because people believe in it, right? They they want to work in a system that's not corporate owned and yeah, it's a little way to make the world a little better, a little better. Well, they've had to close the deli, they've had to close the coffee little bar in there, they've had to close. Uh, I think the the on the weekends they've had to close the the meat counter because they don't have employees to work there. This is one of those places that you would have thought in the past would have been protected from some of the more large-scale shifts mm-hmm. because people want to work there. Same thing, I stopped by a Chipotle, a restaurant that used to be top-quality food, and now I have found it to be um, just intolerable. You know, when I, when I want an upgrade, I go to Taco Bell because my our local Chipotles have just fallen in quality. But for whatever reason, I was having a, a hankering for their guacamole and chips and went, and there was a sign on the door that said, uh, uh, starting immediately... This location is open Monday through Friday, closed on Saturdays and Sundays. (laughs) More people eat there, you know, on weekends than uh, sort of any other time. I'm guessing the only reason for that is they can't get employees to come and work there. Especially on the weekends. Especially on the weekends. (laughs) I mean, they could probably find people for Monday through Friday, but. Yeah, or, or the crush of, uh, what I, you, you might be right, I was thinking the crush of customers on the weekends means they have to fill so many spots, they just can't can't yeah. get there. But, but you're right, it's, maybe it's that some of the very same people that are willing to work there during the week are like, I don't work at weekends, you know, I'm, an employee, I'm a Chipotle employee. So that's curious to me, right, that, that big places, big corporate, you know, food service, front-facing food service places, that have often brought in people at the lower end of the job seeking, you know, scale. These are not professional careers for the most part. Somebody, maybe a manager at a Chipotle or a manager at the co-op, but other people work there for a whole lot of other reasons that aren't like, this is my career track, you know, I'm mm-hmm. in professional development or something. So there's always been those employees, right? And and businesses have always thought we don't even have to pay those people very much, right? That that was the thing about minimum wage. Like, we cannot pay people very much, and they'll still do this job. That's why we don't want the minimum wage to be so high. Keep the minimum yeah. wage. The argument goes as low as possible, because people are going to be happy with that work. Right. It's kids going to school. It's summer jobs. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. People in between something and they're doing something else. Whatever it is. Same thing with uh, trying to get a, a ride in an Uber or a Lyft. Very difficult. 20, 30-minute mm-hmm. waits where I am when you put out an Uber call. It was like, there's just not drivers. So it is clear that whatever economic forces are at bay, there are not as many people working these kinds of jobs. And th- that's a big question, right? Why, why is inflation up, meaning prices have gone up, meaning the demand... So it's either because demand is up items or mm. supply is down for items or there's so much money in the economy that people are willing to spend more to buy or to have a service or something like that. It's, it's got to be one of those, right? This, Those are the things that cause inflation and mm-hmm. joking at the beginning about, you know, talking about 
you know, uh, sort of things of theoretical uh, economics. People don't really know what causes inflation. That's that's something that I've come to learn in the last three or four years. That people who study ec- economists who study inflation particularly disagree with one another and often disagree with themselves about what causes inflation. <laughs> Not totally sure uh, what what has caused it uh, in the United States. Uh, I come from now the side that says it is the demand and supply side that creates inflation, not the amount of money in the economy. Joe Manchin uh, thinks differently. A lot of Republicans think differently. Maybe a lot of other Democrats do as well, thinking that if the federal government puts too much money into the economy, that causes inflation. Uh, I think it's coming from other things. Our current inflation is being caused because we still don't have supply chain issues uh, to the place where they should be. Um, and, And corporations are are jacking up prices in ways that they shouldn't. So anyway, that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, and it's yeah. just a, it's just mired in confusion, you know. And yeah, there's so many variables, things. so it's hard to sort it all out. Yeah. Do Do you have a sense like when you uh, see prices going up? And I've really, I have to admit, I don't pay a lot of attention to fluctuations in prices, like at the grocery store. If If I were on the Prices Right, <laughs> and you made me say like how much is the how much is the butter that I buy? I, I, well, I often try to avoid that that action altogether. I'm I'm not a good shopper, the grocery store. But I don't know how much milk is or butter, <laughs> and I don't think I'm an elitist. It's just not the kind of thing I pay a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what other things cost, but not sort of the day to day staples of things. Um, do you keep track, Dandy Trick? Are you? Somebody- I I didn't used to, but now I'm like caught off guard when something. I'm like. This is twice the price as it was a couple years ago. You know, an item mm-hmm. at the grocery store, a loaf of gluten-free bread or whatever it is. Certain things that I haven't been paying attention to, now I have to because, huh. oh, maybe we, maybe we can't get the organic. We've got to get the cheap stuff, you know? Yeah, I, maybe it's because I'm not the grocery shopper and so I've, I don't have a baseline to compare it to. There are times I buy things and I'm like, What? Like you get to the, <laughs> you get to the register and you know, it's like you went to target and you can't get either for less than a hundred bucks. And it's like, are you serious right now? Th- that stuff costs that much. Right. Um, but I can't really tell the one, the onesies from, from the other. Um, but I know a lot of people do. And apparently, and the, the CPI consumer price index, this thing, that's the big basket of items that they keep track of. And then they test those prices against those same items months yeah. and a year mm-hmm. earlier. It's all going up. Uh, things are just getting more expensive and mm-hmm. and getting more expensive in a way that doesn't just follow your typical sort of cost of living increases, right? The people who play with money uh, at the econo- at the national and international level, they want there to be some inflation. In fact, in the last 20 years, the monetary forces have been worried that there's not enough inflation in our society. The reason that interest rates from the Federal Reserve were at zero was they were trying to cause more a bit of inflation. They want one, two, three percent inflation every year. You want things to keep going because that means that there's more money coming. You're expanding the economy and things are things are increasing. Deflation is actually even more dangerous. It's a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. So they want some inflation. Our current inflation is uh, 
is up. I think it's at a four and a half percent or did it peak? Did, was there a little blurb at six or seven percent? Maybe somebody in the, in the chat would. Current would, inflation? Would, would, yeah. Like 7.5 is the latest that I yeah. saw. Um, well, you know, we, we would love to have uh, our economist uh, Fadl back on, but he's, he's over uh, solving the economic crisis or the, sorry, the climate crisis in, I think he's in Sweden or somewhere. So he is, he is unavailable. Um, but I have talked with him about this and, and he has said, look, his view is that it is coming out of the COVID international shutdown that has caused these issues. That's what's, that's what's caused it. That's, that's his theory. Other people, Jerome Powell, who's the head of the Federal Reserve, says, no, 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 it's not only that. It's also that too much money has been put into the economy. The deficit is too high and supply chain is an issue. So would suggest that there's three issues. Maybe Fado would agree, but order them differently in their, in their, in their level of impact. And the Biden administration has, has bought that, that line as well. That is these right. three and they're trying to work on work on those three. But that doesn't explain like why there was a crisis around baby formula, which was that a factory didn't follow the proper rules and the proper restrictions of producing baby formula and of factories had to shut down. And because our supply chain system worldwide, it runs on such tight margins, not financial margins, but production margins. It's it was a it was a move back way back maybe the late eighties early nineties something called just in time production, meaning you're not going to produce product and then store it and then ship it to people out of your storage. You're going to create the production and shipment closer together, so you're saving a whole lot of money by not having to store things. It's probably a generally good idea if you're in business, right? Sort of on-demand production mm -hmm. or something very close to it. But then what happens is that when something runs into a crisis, either huge demand or what happened to baby formula, a factory has to shut down. There's not enough of that product that's available. So there's a real, uh, uh, there's real danger in, 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 that, in that kind of production. Yeah, and it's it kind of rolling the dice mistakes. and just hoping nothing goes wrong because if something goes wrong, it... Shuts yes. everything down. Yeah, that then people find themselves without without the product that they're that they're going to need. Right, Which, having the know, airdrop baby formula from Germany, like that's what? right, <laughs> right, putting it on airplanes and flying it in. And fortunately, the federal government can do such things. And the federal government, because we create our own currency, can just spend whatever amount of money on these efforts that we need to. Whether it's flying weaponry shipments into Ukraine or flying baby formula into the United States, the US federal government can just spend that money. They don't have to have had, have had it budgeted somewhere or something else. They can just spend it and it just it just takes place and happens. And then they can align that to a budget later if they want to, but they don't, they're not stuck with, you know, like mm -hmm. some of us are, where we're like, oh, we're running out of money in my bank account. And if once there's no more money in there, I don't have any more. The federal government doesn't have that that restraint doesn't, right. have, doesn't have that problem. But the federal government is not the economy. The two things that are not the economy, the federal government is not the economy and the stock market is not the economy. And so both of those entities can do well in our society while the economy struggles. And that's what's happening right now. The stock market continues to reward people insanely because profits in companies continue to go up and therefore the perceived value of stocks 
in those companies continue to go up. Yeah. In other words, people continue to believe that businesses are worth more money. So their value is higher to buy their stock. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be pedantic here for people that don't understand this, but there is no correlation, you know, between the amount of profits that a company earns and the valuation of their stock, right? Those two things are not they're not one-to-one. It's not like, oh, this is an extremely valuable company that makes a lot of profits every year. Therefore, its stock goes up. A lot of people sort of assume that, that that's, that's what it is. It's not actually how it works because stocks that are sold, if you're going to buy a stock or the stocks that are listed on the, on the exchanges, that's the value that people who are looking to buy that stock are willing to pay for that stock. Mm-hmm. It's on the secondary market. The, the valuation of an initial sale of stock goes to the company. After that, the company's not making any money off those stock sales anymore. So if I, have a, if, if I own a stock in Apple Computer or Mattel, uh, the toy company, and I sell that stock to you, Dan, Mattel doesn't make any money off of that. Right. I've just, you've told me that you're willing to pay more for my stock than I paid for it. So I'll sell it to you. And then I reap that benefit. And, you know, if there's a processing fee or something else in the exchange of the, of the sale, I make that. But that's because you've determined that you think that stock is worth money. And it could be that a company is declining in revenue and you're thinking it's about to become more effective, more valuable in people's mind. More people are going to want to own this stock. So you're going to be willing to pay more for the stock. It's not a, it's not a one-to-one, right? This is why companies like Amazon in their early days, people are like, why are people buying Amazon stock for all this money? They haven't made any money in 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. There's like 20 years because it wasn't that Amazon was making a lot of money. Therefore their stock value went up. It was people said, this thing is going to be valuable in the future and I want in on it as early as I can get in on it. So the value of a company, how good it's doing, how much money it has, how much it can pay its employees, how good its product is, is not related one-to-one to the valuation of a stock. This is why the stock market is not the same thing as the economy or the health of businesses. So they're really different, uh, they're different systems sort of all together. And this is what's what's happening. There's so much money in the stock market. There's so much money from the federal government that came in form of relief via COVID, both in you know PPP loans and in personal money that was paid and in the child earned tax credit that was paid out early. All of that investment that went in, from the federal government into the economy, that's put more money in people's bank accounts. So there's more money in the economy and people have not had to work for it in the same way that they have in the past. And this is what's made it possible for there to be so much money, rising inflation, and not as many workers. How long can that last? How long should it last? Do we have an economy that's designed to work like that? That's what's not entirely true or mm-hmm. entirely clear, is can we function in an economy where that's what's, where that's what's happening? Yeah. And the tough part, too, is the Federal Reserve really doesn't have that many tools to address inflation mm-hmm. other than the federal interest rate. And so, you know, the old, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, 
So they all they can do is slam the brakes on the economy as a whole and reduce the amount of money that's flowing through everything, giving people less money to spend on things. And that's really not a great solution, right? Right. The, the problem yeah. is people don't have enough money to buy the things that are getting more expensive, and the solution is to give people less money. <laughs> yes. That, see, that. so that's what the Federal Reserve has to try to do is say, okay, how do we slow down the growth in the economy, we call inflation. How do we slow that? Well, if you start making things more expensive, that will slow down inflation. But that's also what inflation is, is things getting more expensive, <laughs> right? So what they're having to do is to put the pressure on places in the economy, which is the borrowing of money. As it turns out, the United States economy is based on borrowing and debt. That's how it's designed. That's why the Federal Reserve, which gives a license to local banks to lend its money. So the Federal Reserve doesn't lend money to me and you and companies and businesses. A bank does that. And a bank gets a banking license from the Federal Reserve in order to take Federal Reserve dollars and distribute that into the economy. So what the Federal Reserve then can do is say, it's going to cost more money for you first corner street bank to lend money to Dan and Doug's little project they want going because we're going to charge you 1% interest or 2% interest or 5% interest or what's been for a while, 0% interest. We're going to charge you some amount of money. Then you're going to have to pass that on to the Dan and Doug experiment. So if they're going to borrow money from you, then you're going to, that's called prime. Then they're going to add, you're going to add money to that prime rate that they're charging. And the prime has been at zero. So banks can lend money for 2% or 3%, make their 2 or 3%, and the federal government is not extracting any money out of the economy. So what's happening is that when the Federal Reserve lends money like that, and they raise that interest rate, it makes borrowing of money more expensive. That's a way that the federal government starts to take money out of the economy. This has been the big revelation to me about understanding modern monetary theory. That MMT is willing to explain that what the federal government can do is put money into the economy and take money out of the economy. The two ways they take money out of the economy, taxes, so that removes money, so there's not as much in the mm -hmm. system, and interest rates. Interest rates is another way. So when you pay interest rates on a loan and some of that is being paid to the Federal Reserve, that money is then removed from the economy taken out. So now there's less money. And the Federal Reserve is like, if inflation is happening because there's too much money, let's take some money out. And we can do that by turning that little dial mm -hmm. and start to increase a half a percent of interest. So this is where you hear all this conversation about them saying they're going to raise interest rates a half a percent. They're like, if we do that across the board, we know all the loans that are going out, that's going to start to reduce the amount of money that's available. So we're going to not have as much money in the, in the economy. So the MMT people, me and Fadl and, you know, uh, Stephanie Kelton and that whole crowd, they say like, that's not the place to impact inflation. Inflation is not going to be adjusted by this little one and a half, two percent loan rate increase. It's going to only happen on the supply side. That's where inflation is going to become a problem. Only is a strong word. That's primarily where like 90% of the time where inflation pressures are going to come is on the on the, the supply and demand side of products, not on how much money is available. So their argument, argument, my argument would be, go ahead and put that money 
into the economy. And by the way, the Federal Reserve doesn't need the money. It doesn't have to charge interest rates because it's like, hey, everybody's got to make a buck. You know, <laughs> Federal Reserve literally doesn't have to make a buck because they make the dollars. They truly make them. They print them at the treasury. Right? That's what they do. They produce those, those dollars. So they don't have to earn. They're not earning a half a percent. They're removing a half or one or 2% from the economy. That's how they're trying to slow it down. Yeah. And they'll tell you, all of them will say, here's the thing. We don't know how long it's going to take for that action to have impact in the economy. It could be six months. It could be 12 months, 18 could months. Be two years, yeah. It could be never. We don't know how this works. How, we, we don't know how this change impacts the economy. We right. don't know. And some people are even like, it doesn't work at all. All this stuff you're doing, it just <laughs> is not, it's, you know, it's a sleight of hand trick. It's an accounting trick. It's not really mm -hmm. impacting, impacting the economy. Uh, so that's, that's what's, that's what makes all of this so sophisticated and so, and so complicated. Yeah. So what can a president do about it? Or what can Congress do about it? Or what can the Federal Reserve do about it? Well, there's a small number of things, but some of these are just economic conditions that exist totally outside of the choices of any elected official. Yeah. That's what's been funny to hear the criticism against Biden about like supply chain issues and baby formula. It's like, yeah. what do you want the president to do about the baby formula? Do you want the president to take over the factories that make the baby formula? Do you want to socialize all baby mm -hmm. formula? Do you want to socialize the supply chain? Because um, I don't think yes. Republicans are into that. I <laughs> might right. be, but... <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. That is what they say. That's the argument that comes up then is, hey, he needs to do more and to make this... And then when you're like, well, what about this? They're like, yeah, then he should do that. And you, you, know, you tend to think Republicans would say... No, we don't want the federal government taking control of factories. Well, if there's a problem, we do. You know, <laughs> if our babies aren't getting formula, then well, yes, all of a sudden then it rises issue. to and, the occasion. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm, I, you know, look, I don't want the federal government having to be encumbered with running a baby formula factory. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not what they're, it's not what they're good at. There's other people that are really good at running baby formula factories. They should be the ones running baby formula factories. Apparently, they're not in charge of running the baby formula factories currently. So that's. That's a until they're not, until they're not good at running the baby formula factories, <laughs> right, right, and uh, and I think this is true um, that the problems in this baby formula factory was that they didn't follow the proper regulations that the federal government can put on people who are producing a consumable food item in the United States, and that's what caused the problem. So much to the chagrin of of many conservatives, social conservatives and libertarian side of the Republican Party, they would say too much regulation is what's hurting the U.S. economy. Yeah, is that right? Is is, is that what's happening now? <laughs> there's too much, too much, too much uh, regulation that's keeping the baby formula safe. Yeah. I think there's too much of that. That's a little hard to. Uh, that's a little rich yeah. for them to suggest. Well, it's a, just... a very active chat today. Thanks to everyone in the chat. Uh, Krista says the rich have become so sickeningly rich that money is parked. It's not being spent in the economy. It's sitting in billionaires' accounts. I think that's really accurate. It's it's not trickling down like we were promised it would when the rich get richer. They're not creating more jobs. They're not right. spending it in ways that lift the poor out of poverty. It's just sitting in their bank accounts. And there is so much money sitting in bank accounts in the United States and offshore. And you know there yeah. was a big push that Trump 
failed administration tried to push money from offshore into the United States. The Biden administration is doing a better job of that, of incentivizing people to do so and de-incentivizing them to not do so, right? So carrot and stick. They've been trying, been trying both of these to be sure that that money comes into the United States economy and has to be spent and has to be used because the purpose of the federal government producing dollars, giving banks loans to lend out that money and allowing people to reap profits is to keep the whole economic system flowing and working. And when they don't do that and people take their money out, they're actually violating the deal. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. Businesses, companies uh, are supposed to be investing that money. And the belief was that wealthy people would couldn't keep all their money just sitting on the sideline, as Krista said. They, the, 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 the assumption for a long time was, well, they wouldn't want to do that, first of all, and they can't do that because we're going to make a system that just doesn't make that possible. But those folks have figured out all kinds of ways yep. to move that money around. Partially because in the United States, in our tax code, we don't tax wealth. In other words, we don't remove money via taxes from the wealth that you own. We only tax earnings. Mm -hmm. So if you invest in a business or get a dividend or something, that can be taxed. If you are paid a wage, that can be taxed. But a whole lot of other places where you're just earning value you're earning stock dollars and you're moving those proceeds, that's not taxed at all. This is one of the big things is what a lot of the Democrats were talking about was changing the tax code away from rate of taxation on income mm -hmm. and move it to some kind of a wealth tax. It's often called a minimum wealth tax. There's some minimum amount that based on your evaluated wealth for you or a company or a foundation, that that money is going to is going to be uh, subject to subjected to the United States federal government being able to remove some of it from the economy and to put it back and to, and to get it out of the economy to keep the economy moving. We don't have anything like that. Wealth is not taxed in this country. Uh, only the exchange of money is taxed, and then not even all those exchanges are are, are taxed. Yeah. People have found ways to, to to work around it. But again, we. I just want to stress the way the economy works is the federal government's deficit is not specific is not a deficit in, in in the sense that the federal government doesn't have money. It's a deficit. The deficit is the difference between the amount of money the federal government has produced and printed through the Federal Reserve and the Treasury and the amount of money that's come out in taxes. That number is the deficit. I should be more clear. Money that has come out through taxes and other means like interest rates and other things. So money that's been taken out of the economy versus the amount of money that's been produced by the treasury and put into the economy over the history of the United States. How much has been generated? How much money have we made as a federal reserve? And how much money has come out in taxes? The difference is called the deficit. So it's not a deficit in the sense that you and I would have a financial deficit. It's a different kind of deficit. So why would the government want to take money out? That becomes a real question for people. Well, why would we do this at all? Well, it's to make sure that there's not too much money in the economy, that it's not metaphorically overheating and people have too much available to them, mm -hmm. wanting to slow down what's happening right now. That's the theory. But the bigger problem is there just isn't enough stuff, and that's what's causing the prices to go up.
Yeah. And and maybe it's demand. Maybe it's a lot of people did repairs to their house. Uh, you know, you've done a very nice remodel on your bathroom, which uh, <laughs> I, I hope it went well with the plumber yesterday. Was everything plumber fixed everything? Yeah, yeah, great. Everything's everything's settled. <laughs> so you know, uh, I've got a, a guy in my backyard right now painting my garage, uh, and you know, so people are like, "Hey, I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to go to you know Sherwin Williams today and buy 153 dollars worth of paint and paint supplies to finish up painting my garage," and that's spurring on purchase of paint and plumber's work and plumber supplies and all mm -hmm. this stuff. So many people have been doing that over the last two and a half years during the pandemic because they realized this is the time to get that done, that it's causing all kinds of increases in construction. And then there's not enough workers. Yeah, so, especially in these skilled labor areas like plumbers, electricians, contractors. You're looking months out for a lot of this work. Or you're paying exorbitant fees to get an emergency job done. So we have a couple of statistics from some articles here that companies, certain companies are making a lot of money during these difficult inflationary times. Here's what's amazing yeah. is corporations have been raising prices on American consumers, American companies have, as their own profits surge. So they're just making more and more. This is from, from The Guardian, that The Guardian finds that U.S. Commerce Department data shows that corporate profits rose 35% in the last year and at their highest level since 1950. Inflation, meanwhile, meanwhile rose to 8.5% a year over year in March. Yeah, this is absolutely enraging to me that under the cover of oh, supply chain, we've got to, you know, we're the victims here. We have to raise our prices. Sorry. They're raking in just record profits and not just passing along the cost to the consumer, but doubling that, tripling that 35% more. Some of these, we'll bring up a graph here. Chevron's making 240% more profits. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, Steel, Steel Dynamics. Dynamics profits increased 809%. <laughs> <laughs> the, company the company was, company quote, was... not materially affected by inflation as higher prices exceeded increased supply chain costs. It's yep. So they can, so wild. steel producers, Steel Dynamics, one of the larger uh, steel producers out of the United States and around for steel all over the world, is like, this is working for us. People are <laughs> yeah. building. And look, some of that is because, you know, rightly so, the, the Biden administration has figured out how to make infrastructure a reality. And there's been a trillion dollars invested over the next number of years into infrastructure. You know what they're going to use? Steel, a lot of steel to replace bridges. So companies like that are just going to continue to make profits uh, hand over fist. Um, you know, for all the people who say they don't want the government picking winners and losers, it's inevitable that the government's going to pick winners and losers. There's just no way around it. Um, they're going to have to because that's how it goes. But Nike is not one of those. Nike's profits increased 53% <laughs> by higher prices, offset by supply chain and uh, inflationary cost increases. And Dr. Pepper has significant pricing actions and productivity outpaced inflation costs, leading to a 83% profit jump. So some of this is explainable. Like, yeah, we're going to spend money on infrastructure, of course. Steel Dynamics maybe is in that space. Maybe Chevron is related in their 240% is related to global issues of gas shortages and so on. But probably not because fertilizer companies and Nike and mm -hmm. Keurig, Dr. Pepper, 
which I do own a Keurig, so maybe I've been contributing to their uh, the problem, their eighty three percent to their eighty three percent profits. But it's just top quality coffee served in very well. And then to get to your beloved Chipotle here, they have mm, increased delicious. their profits by eighty six percent. And this is a quote from the CEO: "We're pretty fortunate with the pricing power we have." This is a quote. So we have more room to take the price as we need to. We see no resistance to date with the levels that we're currently at. So they're just saying, hey, it turns out we can jack up the prices as high as we want. And nobody cares. <laughs> and nobody not somehow they still cares. can't afford to pay workers enough to show up on the weekends. At, at the Chipotle, right here in the <laughs> on the skirts of of Minneapolis, lots of people around, uh, and Kellogg's the same way. Fifty four percent growth that they saw most of our, if not all of our, next sales growth for twenty twenty two would be driven by a price slash mix. In other words, they're going to raise prices. Not going to raise prices because things are getting more expensive. They're going to raise prices to increase their profits. Yeah. 54%. Look, should companies make a profit? For sure. Should companies have to deal with the pressures of economics and federal uh, uh, responses to that? Absolutely. That's how it goes. No, I personally don't begrudge companies for figuring out how to make a profit. But when you're complaining about inflation and want to only blame the federal government's response, and then you see massive movements of companies like this, that are making enormous profits, you then have to ask yourself, maybe this inf all of this inflation is partially related to us not being able to get the products that we need to get because some things are backed up. And some of it is because companies have figured out that we're just going to keep driving prices up because as it turns out, people don't have another choice or they choose not to make another choice. They've got the advantage you know, on their, on, on their side. Yeah. It is nutty. Yeah, look at this one. If, if you're on, if you're not on the screen uh, and you're only watching, only listening on the podcast, we'll try to explain this to you. But it's a those same numbers in a bar graph, and man, it is something. Um, you know, Albertsons Food and Grocery, big in the South in Texas. I lived in Texas. Albertson was sort of the big grocery store uh, chain down there. Six hundred and seventy-one percent profits uh, over the last. Um, uh, quarter over or th this quarter over the last two years projections amazon 333 chevron the polte group i don't know what that is it must be home. oh polte home construction mm, yeah yep. yeah polte now also also in texas i lived in texas for a while and learned a lot about that part of the world mm. texas uh lots of housing being built by Pol by polte uh the uh uh, so they have huge subdivisions. When we were there in the, in the late 90s, like they'd be building 500 home subdivisions, like little cities. It was unbelievable what they were doing. As we mentioned, Dr. Pepper and Hershey and ADM and Nike. And, uh, you know, just the, the median of 100 companies analyzed in this report, the median increase in profits was 49% of the 100 companies. So yeah, of course, Steel Dynamics at nine, eight, or eight or nine hundred percent increase, outrageous. Uh, Albertsons at six hundred seventy-one, outside the norm. But you're talking about you know up fifty percent is <laughs> yeah. the median. Fifty percent of the companies saw more than fifty percent increase in their profits. Yeah, it's and then to contrast that with the U.S. median wage increase is one point six percent. Oh my goodness, look at that. So this whole argument that, well, we had to pay workers more 
and that's driving up costs and you're paying workers 1.6% more yes. and you're raking in huge, huge, huge profits. profits in a time when everyone's been worried that, you know, so worried that the economy was going to crash for businesses, that lots of money was pumped in to protect businesses. And yet now two years out, because now we're in May, you know, or June now of 2022. So we're just about two years from the deep, deep impact of the economies having to adjust to a point that felt like it was nearly a shutdown and malls and a lot of these places were closing and you know, you couldn't get any work done. And yet now two years later, these places are wreaking 50%, 50% profit. So it's uh, it's a lot. Okay. So, so what else is going into this? Well, not having enough workers is something that's, that's happening. And the fact that these are mixed, right? That we have so much job, jo- so many jobs unfulfilled, I was uh, mentioning to a friend of mine the other day, and he thinks maybe I'm a little heavy-handed on the immigration question. I said, well, you're not going to want to hear this, but a lot of the reason that we see a, a shortage in workers is because of immigration. He's like, oh, come on. You cannot blame not having enough workers at you know fill-in-the-blank store or company because of illegal immigration. I said, no, it's not just illegal immigration, not even primarily illegal immigration. Immigration overall, the Trump administration made a serious dent in the number of people who were allowed to come in the United States with an H1B1 virus, or virus, H1B1 visa. And to come in with that visa, which allows them to work, was cut dramatically. And then, of course, COVID cut it again. So we are now experiencing this, this, uh, this great little headline from Money Watch is, America's labor shortage is actually an immigrant shortage. Two million people short in our uh, because there's 2 million less immigrants in our country has meant 2 million less workers in the economic uh, uh, pool of, of workers in the United States. That's a really big deal. In other words, we need immigrants in this country. They're a crucial part of making sure that we have enough workers. And, you, and you'd be shocked at the kinds of jobs that, that people who uh, don't have their residency, their permanent residency or citizenship in the United States do in our society. I, uh, I stayed in a Hampton Inn a couple of times over the last few days. And people at the Hampton Inn, when you check in, say to you, hey, um, we now only clean rooms on request. And you have to put that request in 24 hours ahead. So basically, we're going to put a bunch of towels in your room and the sheets you get when you check in, those are the sheets you're going to have on your bed when you check out and no more of this like keeping up. And you ask them, uh, well, why is that? And they'll say, we just don't have enough people working in our hotel. We don't have enough of, of those workers across the board. And so it's not just, you know, hey, I can't get Chipotle on the weekends and I don't get fresh towels, wah, 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 wah. It's really an issue across the board in our economy from people that do those kinds of jobs to to a whole a whole uh, range of jobs that, that that immigrants fulfill in this in this society. So if we want to solve this problem, open the immigration process, allow millions more into our country. Mm-hmm. We don't allow. I'm gonna. I'm getting preachy. We don't allow <laughs> enough immigrants in our country as it is before this issue of the Trump administration and COVID. We weren't allowing enough people in. We need to allow millions more in the United States every year. And we need to allow those people not only to be on work visas, which means they're not planning to be permanent residents or citizens. We need to increase that number. And we need to increase the number of people who want to be citizens and want to be permanent residents of the United States. Because what makes our economy better is when our economy is growing. 
let millions of people into the United States and it will grow the economy. Go to every small mm -hmm. town in America that sees itself in a decline and ask yourself if having 3,000 more people in that town wouldn't be better for that town. Of course it would. Right. Yeah, more people, people that work hard. More people producing more goods, more people buying more goods, paying local taxes, more students in schools, which gives yes, more money for the schools. Doing yeah. all the things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what doesn't it do? I get it. Some people say, well, these are people who are just going to take from our social our, so, our social systems. It actually works the other way. You know, uh, Rob Ryersey, our, our political organ our director here and uh, Tuesday co-host, put out a little meme yesterday that he made up uh, that said, uh, you have heard it said, this was about gun violence, you have heard it said that the way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. You've heard it said, but I say to you, have you seen the numbers? Which is a play on <laughs> Jesus's phrase. And it, I was like, we got to apply that to a whole lot of things and start putting that message out. Because the same, same thing on this, people are like, well, if we let all these people that don't live in the United States in as immigrants, they're just going to cost us money. I know you've heard that said, but I say to you, have you looked at the numbers? It doesn't work that way. Right. They actually increase the amount of money in the social supporting funds in towns and states and nationally. They're a benefit to those systems, not a distraction or a reduction from them. Right. It's just incredible. And I which know is it's why, hard for people to understand that, but that's how it actually works. Which is why towns along the border that we visited on our cycling trip were like, no, we have to open this border so that our economies can survive here. We talked to towns that considered themselves connected, but divided by this arbitrary border. And the Title 42 shutdown was just wreaking havoc in their local economies. Absolutely. And as it turns out, more people born in Mexico live in the city of Chicago than live in the state of Arizona. Wrap that your head around that for a minute. <laughs> that not only do these people that you're talking about who were born in Mexico and then are living and working in the United States benefit the towns and the states along the border, but they also impact states all over the country. Every state is made better by immigrants, especially on these issues of, of economics that we're talking about. They're economic drivers. They produce more benefit to the United States economy than they take from it. So you start saying to yourself, okay, what's going on with inflation? Well, it's a lot. There are a lot of things going on with inflation. And is it any one particular circumstance? No. Is it the conflation of a number of things? Yes. Are these going to pass? I sure hope so. The Biden administration is doing all they can to straighten out the mess on immigration that the Trump administration created. So hopefully in two and three and four years from now, those pressures are going to be lifted. And we're going to have the number of workers we need from other countries in the United States. Not only workers, but also producers and buyers and you know customers and so on and supply chain issues that are still being severely restricted because of COVID around the world. Like here in the US, we're sort of acting like we're all done with it, but globally, it still is having great impact. And so much of the financial investment that came into the United States from the federal government to get us through the COVID periods, that's all timing out now. And that money's gonna move out of people's bank accounts and, and be absorbed in the rest of the economy. We're gonna get back to something more typical to where we were. And are we going to end up with an economy that built back better or with one that built back pretty much identical? That's still an open, still an open question. I sure hope it's going to have built back, built, 
<laughs> it's a tongue twister. And I have built back better. Uh, it is. It's like they. It's like they created a Peter Piper picked it back and pick up peppers. Um, uh, that that Joe Biden wants to build back better. I hope we build back better, but it's not entirely clear that that we're going to end up with anything that's not pretty close to you know a non-identical twin economy to what we've what we've had for the last you know 30 40 years just new bridges yeah i'm looking for the the quote in the chat but someone mentioned that the covid shutdown as bad as it was was an opportunity for things to change it was a you know disruption to the norm and we had an opportunity to not go back to the way things were because the old normal wasn't working for a lot of people already. But it does seem like we're just rushing to get back to that old way, that comfortable yeah. way of That's doing right. things that really wasn't a great system to begin with. Yeah, a lot of people were really negatively impacted by the way the economy the economy was functioning. And we have not made the decisions, nor does it seem like we're going to make the decisions that are going to change that to some, to some other kind of an economy. That getting back to normal is probably more likely than changing the norm to something mm -hmm. to something better. But look, we're all going to be talking about uh, inflation for a long time because it's going to be around. And frankly, we've been talking about inflation in this country, either that it's happening, that it's not happening, <laughs> or the fear that it's going to happen. It's around all the time. Mm -hmm. So I get it that people are like, well, boy, now we're having to talk about inflation. Um, it's more public because partially because the press is helping people to understand that it's that it's happening. It explains a lot, explains why prices have gone up. It's important that people know that and they don't just think it's just them. Most obvious to that, some food prices, but it's gasoline. And the fact that we're still a country based on fossil fuel burning in our vehicles, the the increase in gas prices is is noticeable. And that's one of the places where I do think people, regardless if you're closer to you know me not paying attention to how much milk costs or uh, somebody like you who does know the price of gluten-free bread. And, and why is something more expensive when it doesn't include as many ingredients? Also confusing. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we do pay attention to gas prices because somehow you know, you're just sitting there and you're watching that pump go and you're like, hold, hold on a minute, $68? Yeah, they did that with slices of bread as you, <laughs> as you get your loaf. <laughs> Still, have never found, never found an adequate answer as to why, of all the consumer products, gasoline is one that moves on a daily basis as a commodity. Why that? No other product like changes day by day, or sometimes during a day. Yeah, <laughs> some guy, some guy has to go out there with a long stick and change the number <laughs> on the gas on the gas sign. What on earth is going on, and why is that happening? I'm not entirely sure why that's why that's happening. And yeah. so maybe somebody knows the answer to that and would be helpful. Um, but we've just chosen for that to be the case. Side note, turns out fueling stations, you know, superettes or, you know, gas stations, they don't make their money off the sale of the gasoline. They make their money off the things you buy inside the store. Did yeah. You know there's that? hardly any margin for them in yeah. the selling of the gasoline. Yeah. Like it's either auto repair. So they used to, these places used to have like a car shop connected to them. Then they got away from car shops and went to a superette and are now in the grocery business. 
and the high price grocery business, like small package things that are of a higher of, yep. of a higher cost, that's where they make their money. So when you see this increase, it's going to someone. It's not costing oil refineries and and oil producers, oil producing countries like the United States or Saudi Arabia or Russia, not costing us them more money to extract the the oil and to yeah. refine it. Those are not where the costs are coming from. Uh, it's coming because they're just selling it for more money. There literally is a cartel making decisions about how much gas is going to be, and they've yeah. decided on a magical number of 100, 100 US dollars per barrel. And if it goes above that, people freak out. And if it's too far below that, people feel like there's not enough profit. So they try to find some space in between there. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, all these oil producing countries want to increase the price per barrel of oil to make a bunch of profits. And then they'll let it back down. So people stop freaking out and then they'll, they'll just profit, <laughs> profit rise and fall all the time. That's all they're doing. Yeah. But they're and never can, not making money too. It's not like when prices go down, they're like, oh, we're really hurting. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they're 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 still making money when they're not making as much money. Yeah. Right. Right. They're still they're still breaking. And you look, the, the oil companies will say, "Hey, look, no, it's that's not true. It costs us a lot of money to go pursue new oil. It costs us a lot of money to keep up. There's a lot of costs nope. involved. So it's really expensive to continually lobby the federal government to It's expensive. It's expensive to pollute the planet and get the government to not regulate you. That's it doesn't yeah. come free. You just get to do that. That's 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 tough living. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, they, they sure there are costs. Of course there are. Um, but oil has been a very uh, lucrative business. And if we move then to something that had renewables, so say wind, solar, hydro, jet stream, which is my favorite renewable. You know about that whole thing? They're talking about putting some kind of power generator devices in the jet stream because the jet stream never stops moving. Yeah, it's not like local wind on the ground where you can just have a calm day. Yeah, which again, try to understand what wind is. Just have just have a clim uh, climate person explain to you what wind is, and, and watch I'm it. Still blow not your sure mind. about clouds, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you just think the things we just are like, oh no, it's just windy. Well, what is wind? Well, it's air being moved by pressure. So that comes and goes and changes and moves different directions and yada yada. yada. The jet stream that thing just keeps moving all the time. So that's one of the places where they're really trying to figure out how to have consistent. So you don't get this stuff about like, what about a cloudy day? What about a day when it doesn't rain or the wind doesn't blow all this? Because our current problem is in renewables, there's no way to store energy that's reasonable. They're also working on that big, huge salt mines that store energy as a huge battery. Like in Nevada and Idaho, they're working on these big salt fields and that's where they're going to store it. because the problem is you produce a whole bunch of energy and you just literally have to the reason it runs on those lines all the time and they're crackling and everything is because once you start making energy and moving those electrons the, the way we do it's got it just has to go right away and it has to come be coming into people's houses or it's gone there's no storage of it mm -hmm. and we don't have large enough that's why fossil fuels are so useful because you can hold them and then burn them when you need the energy. So that's what companies are, are doing all the time. And we've decided in this country to not use nuclear reactors as energy, which, you know, I mean, we're clearly, still doing it, but not but as not, much. Yeah. Not, not as a primary source, like the amount of energy that comes from nuclear power plants, um, which had those been able to make safe power 
we could have solved a whole lot of climate issues a whole lot faster. Turns out that didn't happen. So now you're talking about other other things where they have to figure out either how to store it or how to produce it consistently so we never have a, a, a blackout. Like they're talking about this summer already predicting in certain places, including California, that there's going to be rolling blackouts. They're like, we know how much power is going to be used. We know how much power we can produce. There's not enough. It's not enough. Our, our power oh, grids gosh. are not designed and our power system is not is not designed to do this. Yeah. Had we moved to something, and when we do ultimately get to something, not just what you put in your car, but how everything else is powered, that it's not burning off fossil fuels, that's going to help these prices a lot. Um, and that's part of the reason, of course, why some industries oppose uh, alternative sources of energy to the fossil fuels, whether it's gas or whether it's nat natural gas or uh, fuel in our cars. It's what they don't want because that would that would really be crushing to to, to those industries. Yeah. But we moved from like whale oil and uh, and coal <laughs> for the most part, and uh, now we're into you know burning of fossil fuels, and that's going to go away at some point when the technologies allow for it. Yeah, we've shifted and, and before, and we'll will shift again. Yeah. Well, thanks to everyone in the chat. It was a very active chat. Thanks to Krista, to Bob, to Cole, to Carol, Jesus. Yeah. James. Wow. What's going on? James. Yeah. Thanks for hanging with us and thanks for chatting it up. Barbara. Yeah, JK has, a, has a great phrase. Trump appointees at the Fed have deliberately screwed the economy. Uh, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think that's true. <laughs> I think they were, I think their choices they made uh, cer certainly did that. Yeah. So thanks everyone for all the, uh, all the great, uh, all the great comments. Sometimes we wonder on, you know, when we talk about science and economics, if people care about it, but we're glad you do. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sticking around. All right, friends. Hey, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you next week. <laughs>